Well, it's, uh, it's good to see all y'all today. If you're a guest, we're really glad you're here. If you're watching online, thanks for watching, especially guests online. And uh, I'm David, and I'm the pastor of the church. We're glad, we're glad you're here. We're beginning a series today. It's going to go about three weeks. Uh, it's on the family, and it's entitled Families at a Crossroads, because it uh, seems like there's always a few families in our church that are crossroads in their life, and yours may be one of them. Uh, yours may, family may be going great, and that's fantastic. And it's, sometimes families struggle, and we know that. We want to help them how however we can, and we know that it's difficult. We, we know that sometimes that some of your families are struggling. Our culture doesn't make it any easier, to be honest with you. It makes it hard. Uh, it, it just seems to always be working against you and what you're trying to accomplish. Now, this is a difficult series to preach always, and it uh, can be some difficult messages, but I want you to know, please don't ever feel like anyone's trying to beat you up because we're not. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling like you got beat up. Ever. I mean, if, if you got convicted about something, that's fine. If there's some sin in your life or problems you need to take care of, it, that's fine. And you need to do that. But don't feel like we're trying to beat you up. We're not. And some of you, 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 you know, you're going to go through these next three weeks and you're going to say, man, my family's in great shape and great. Sometimes when you come worship, you should be affirmed. You should walk out of here saying, I got it. And maybe after the message today, you want to pat yourself on the back. Maybe you want to look at your spouse and say, honey, pat me on the back. I'm doing pretty good. David, David said, I'm doing fine. And that, that's, that's cool, too. And listen, we get all that, and, and we understand that in his heart. And listen, I want you to know, I, you know my, mom had, I, my mom was the most, my mom, along with my wife, two most wonderful Christian ladies I know. My mom was a fantastic Christian woman. Um, it, but she, she, when I was three, she and my dad divorced. She got remarried. And then 35 years later, after she had a couple of grown daughters, and she and my stepfather got divorced. And I had to go through that with her, not as a pastor, but as a son. And I understand that. So I... Listen, by my marriage, it's coming up on 39 uh, wonderful years, and, and, you know, I still understand. I get it. I get it. I get it. I understand sometimes where some of you are coming from. You've been in some tough places. I understand that. And I don't ever want you to feel like in any way we're being harsh. We're trying to, trying to love you, trying to help you, but we want to help people get where they need to be. Some of you have not been married yet, and this series, man, you need to take notes, and you get all this, and just understand that this, this will help you. Lord willing, I'll go a long ways. So here's the message today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this week and next week. And here's what I want you to see. Marriage matters to God, and it should matter to us. Do you realize that your marriage matters to God? Absolutely marriage matters, matters to God. And because it matters to God, it should matter to us as well. So here's what I want you to see uh, from the message today and what, what I hope you get out of it. And it's really simple. And if your marriage is going great, this can help you with your family and brothers, sisters, kids, whatever. It's simply this. Marriage should reflect the design and intent of God. After all, he established it. Marriage should reflect God's intent for us, his design for us, because God's the one who gave us marriage. And so... Yeah, here's what we're going to do to start off with. Anytime you deal with a difficult subject or you, you have some controversy, you wonder, you know, what's the best thing to do, you should always go to Jesus. And so I'm going to talk to you today about Jesus on marriage. And here's the thing. Go to Jesus. And I have found it really helpful that whatever Jesus says, I'm just going to go with that. Okay, I'm going to be on Jesus' side of any issue. If Jesus talks about something, I'm not going to figure out some way to get around it and explain it away. I'm just going to go with him. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say a whole lot about marriage. In fact, really only two times does he say much about it. We know in Mark 10 and then in a parallel passage, the same passage, really the same situation in uh, Matthew 19. Those are the same event. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he talks about marriage. He doesn't say much, but what he says is very concise and very much to the point. Mark chapter 10, verse 1 starts off this way. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. So 
Chapter 10 of Mark, Jesus is leaving the northern kingdom area of Judea, northern province of Judea, and he's going to Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, and this is to go to the cross. He's just, you know, a few days away from all this. And so he crosses the other side of the Jordan, that's how they travel, and, uh, you know, along the way it takes several days to get there. He's constantly teaching, always teaching, teaching, teaching. And with that in mind, then verse 2 tells us some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him while he was teaching, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Now, the Pharisees were always trying to get Jesus. And so it says they came testing him. The word testing means to try to trap him. They were, they were always trying to trap Jesus and, and get, somehow get the crowds against him. And it says they were inquiring of him. And the idea of inquiring is the idea really of, of like an interrogation. It's like, it's like if you, you had called someone in and you were interrogating them, they tried to get information from them. And that's really what's going on. And what they wanted to know if something was lawful, or basically they wanted to know if it was okay with God, or, and that is about divorce. And so to deal with divorce, first a little bit, we need to talk something about marriage back then, because they, marriage was different in that day than really than our day. Today, uh, when two people get married, then they fall in love. That's what we humanly think. Two people fell in love. And when they fall in love, they decide, okay, I want to spend my life with you. And we get married. And that's what marriage really is. And, you know, there are other things to enter into it. I get it. You know, you, you, you may look at other considerations. But basically, do you, do you love someone enough that you want to spend your entire life with them? That's kind of how we look at it. But back then, love didn't really always enter into marriage. In fact, oftentimes, marriage was arranged between two families while the guy and the gal were really, really young in their teens. Now, that didn't mean that didn't have veto power. I mean, a girl, one thing a girl could do, they had very few legal rights, but one thing they could do in Jewish culture was say no to a marriage. When the time came, they could say no, so could the guy. Said no to the marriage, though, there was no guarantee your family was going to get you another one. But people got married, and they didn't really get married for love. They got married uh, for a lot of times for protection. The father wanted to make sure his daughter would enter into a good family, and they would protect her, the protection of her husband. That was a male, very much a male-dominated culture. Women were at a disadvantage in life, especially a single woman, for protection. If something happened you know, to the dad and mom, they wanted to make sure that in that family they could always protect her even if her husband died. It was what it was about. Sometimes if they were prominent families, it was about, you know, one wealthy family marrying another wealthy family and where land was going to go and money was going to go. All those things were in consideration and honor was really held in high esteem. They wanted to make sure that the, the girl that was married was pure and there had to be guarantees of purity and all that transpired. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Money changed hands, you know. You know, I, I, you know the wife oftentimes would bring money into the equation, you know, and she'd be, that'd be worth so much money. Or th- Different things were a part of it. So it's, it's different than our understanding. And uh, so they wanted to know, though, could, could you get divorced? And, and divorce, first off, right off the bat, divorce was always understood to be acceptable if the wife was unfaithful to the husband. Now, this was, like I said, a male-dominated society. Women really didn't divorce their husbands. There were rare exceptions. Um, if your husband just deserted you and ran off, you could. If your husband had an occupation that somehow was undignified, they always used the example of a tanner. I have no idea why being a tanner would, would be, but I guess, you know, you guys who are tanners, bad luck, you know, your wife can divorce you, according to Jewish custom. I mean, but mostly it's with the guy. And so that was kind of the understanding. And it was always understood that if the guy felt that the wife was unfaithful, he could divorce her. And by the way, the guy would never be considered to being guilty of adultery against his wife. He could be considered a guilty of adultery against another man for cheating with his wife. Or his wife, you know, if cheated on him, could be guilty of adultery. But the guy was never considered a 
guilty of adultery against his wife. So really, it was if your wife was unfaithful to you, then it was understood you could divorce her. Now, there was another extreme, though. There was another group of guys. This was the more popular view coming up. The most popular view, though, was that you could divorce your wife for any reason. There was a very conservative development that said divorce only. I mean, adultery only. But then there was a more moderate kind of progressive group, you know, that said, well, for any reason. And they meant any reason at all. If your wife displeased you, if you found a better woman, you could divorce your wife. If you, your wife didn't cook good, you could divorce her. If she was twirling around in the street, you could divorce her. I mean, just about any reason at all, you could divorce your wife. And that was the culture they lived in. So they came to trap Jesus. Where are you going to fall in this debate, Jesus? Because most of the people, I mean, most of the men there believed that they could divorce their wife for any reason. And they kind of knew how Jesus was. He was pretty conservative. So they wanted to see how he would answer and hope to get him discredited with all the folks. And in verse 3, we see that Jesus answered. And he said to them, what did Moses command you? Now, Jesus is never going to fall for anyone's trap. And, and so he turned it around. He went past what the custom was, past even what the idea of the law they always affirmed or referred to Moses. He was their authority. And so Jesus just said this. Let's go back to Moses. Tell me what Moses commanded you to do. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses dealt with the issue of divorce. And here was what was going on. Men were simply leaving their wives behind. We might use the phrase, they were just casting them out, kicking them to the curb, gone. They were going on to another woman or whatever. And their wives would be exposed then to the world that they lived in at that time without any protection. I mean, it, it was assumed that if your husband just left you, that maybe you were guilty of, in, of, of uh, adultery or unchastity or uncleanliness. And so there was no protection of them. Their families probably wouldn't take them back. They couldn't get remarried because no one was going to risk marrying a woman who had been kicked out for adultery. And so they were exposed to danger. So Moses said, you write her a certificate of divorce so that she can be free. She can have the legal protection to get remarried. And so, and so in Deuteronomy, hang on, I'll be there just a second. You, you did right, but I'm not quite there yet. So just go back. So thank you. So Moses, they said Moses would write a divorce to protect them. And so in the course of protecting them, she could get remarried. Now, here is the thing. If she got remarried and married again, then once that, if that, something happened in that marriage, if the guy died, or if he divorced her, the first husband couldn't go back and take her back. So once you left your wife, once you disavowed her, she was gone for good. So that was what the situation was. So Jesus said, what did they command you? Now in verse 4, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and sent her away. They said Moses permitted something. They were not going to fall for Moses commanding. They said what Moses permitted. Now the word permitted is important because in their mind, Moses was giving permission. He was saying it's okay to divorce your wife. A man could divorce his wife. Now, this is where they fell into Jesus' trap because they focused in on the wrong thing. They were saying, for any reason a man wants, he can leave his wife. So it was about what the man wanted. It was about my preferences. It was about me. They were looking at it purely from the point of view of the man, not from the wife or from God's point of view. So here's the first thing that I kind of want you to see and understand, that many marital problems are the result of a wrong view of marriage. Many marital problems are the result of a wrong view of marriage. See, we think about it from our perspective, what we want, what we desire, what can we get out of it. And that's how we look at it. And oftentimes I have people come to me and they'll tell me things like, you know, David, my needs aren't being met. Or I'm not getting this. Or I'm not being fulfilled. Or blah, blah, blah. I'm me, 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 me. We look at it from our perspective. And when you start looking at it only from your perspective, 
When you start simply looking at your marriage from what you get out of it, you're headed for dangerous waters. Some of you aren't married yet or aren't going to get or think about getting married. Understand, if you look at marriage from the perspective of what you receive out of it, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. And that was their first mistake. <laughs> so Jesus then in verse 5 said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you, this commandment. He knows he turns it on him and they said, well, we're permitted to. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're not permitted to. You're commanded to. Not to divorce your wife. That was the commandment. The commandment was to protect your wife with the certificate of divorce. The commandment was not to look after yourself, but because of your hard heart. And the word hard means stubborn. It means unyielding. It means to only think of yourself. The hardness of your heart Moses commands you to do this to protect them, to keep them safe. Because you were only thinking about yourself, and you lost track of your spouse and the importance of your spouse. So here's the thing. Some of you right now are struggling in your marriage, and I get that. Some of you, a marriage may be headed to divorce, and I understand that's a possibility. Some of you may have recently been divorced, and I get this. Some of you are looking to get married in the future. So here's, here is something that's really important. Make sure that the problem with your marriage, isn't your stubborn and unbending heart? See, you look at marriage as what you get out of it. You're looking at marriage from the wrong perspective. And then on top of that, your heart tends to be stubborn and unyielding. And that's the problem with so many marriages. It's like, I want, I want, I want. It's about me, and you draw a line in the sand, and it's about you, and your heart gets hard and stubborn. In a lot of conflicts, you've got two stubborn people who can't look at what's best for the other person. Listen, one of the things I found a long time ago, I know I'm a stubborn guy, but, you know, I'm coming up on my 39th wedding anniversary. And, and listen, I got to be honest with you. Um, my wife's had it pretty good, I think. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think she's coming to the 11 o'clock service, but, uh, so I'll change that. But, but one thing I know, I can be a pretty stubborn and hard guy. And one of the things I have to pray for all the time is that I may be stubborn and I may be harder than yielding towards you. That's one thing. But I always pray, God, don't let me be stubborn and hard towards my wife. Don't let me be hard towards Debbie. Help me be kind. Help me be gentle. Help me be loving. Help me look at things from her point of view. And as I look at it from her point of view, let me just go with that. Let me be kind. It wouldn't hurt you in life to pray that you be kind towards the person you're married to. But there's more. And Jesus in verse 6 then is going way past Moses. He's going back to God. He said that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He's going back to creation. And he's going back to when God made things. And here's the thing. One thing about creation that every Jewish person understood is that God created with purpose and design. God was the designer. He designed it all. And he designed it all with purpose and intent. And in his purpose and intent in creation... Jesus says he made male and female, here, there, this, that, male, female, and then nothing else. That was it. Now, back in January, when I preached about the image of God uh, a little bit, one of the things I talked about was when God created us as humans, he created us by our sexuality, our gender, and not by kind. Uh, for instance, birds, fish, 
uh, uh, animals, there's a kind. There's a kind of fish, different kinds of birds, different kinds of dogs and cats. Uh, not different kinds of humans. Next week, uh, we'll have child dedication. Hopefully, we'll have some kids being dedicated, and we'll go up, and we'll say, these are the parents so-and-so, and and this is their baby girl, or this is their baby boy. We will not say, this is their human, you know. You already know they're human. You want to know, is it a boy or a girl? Because sometimes you can't tell by the name, right? They come up with these crazy names, like, where'd you come up with that name? I don't know, man, and you can't tell. So you you can't tell the way they dress them, the hair, you can't tell any of that. So we just say, here's the boy, here's the girl. We understand that. He made us that way. And, and, and now we're in a time in our culture where our culture, though, disputes that. And this is a very real issue, and some of you are struggling with this, because some of you got kids in school, and your kids are being taught that gender, maleness and femaleness, is not the only option, that you can choose what you want to be. If you're born a male, you can choose to be a female. If you're a female, you can choose to be a male. And I think there are other options in between. I can't figure them all out, but there are. And that's a very serious issue. And you're struggling with that, and I hear you, and I understand it, and, and it's tough. And there are people who come to our church who struggle with their identity. And I know it's a very real struggle for you. And if I'm preaching to you here or if you're online and this is a struggle with you, I understand. We want to help you through it. But the place that we begin to help you through it is not what the culture tells you. Never begin with what the culture says. Because the culture is corrupt. And the culture doesn't care about you. But God says male and female. And we know that's true. From the moment there's birth, you look and make sure. And you know. And then there's DNA. And then there's chromosomes. I got a Y chromosome. I know. I'm a guy. Guy equals Y. It's that simple. I'm a male. But people struggle. And I get that. Because the culture brings it. One of the things that we have to help our kids understand. is we live in this culture in this time where people say, if you don't agree with me or you don't accept everything about me, then you're a hater. And you hate me and you're this or that. And that's not true. And, 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 you know, we've got to help. You got, parents, you've got to help your kids with this. And this is so important. Help them understand, I can love you, but not agree with you, nor accept your choices as correct. I can love you, but not agree with you. Listen, you're, anyone's welcome to come to First Baptist Church. We love you. We want you to come. Doesn't mean we're always going to agree with you. And some of you live in, and it's not just about, you know, choosing gender and all that. Some of you are just in, you know, there's some male-female relationships that are really bad relationships. And if you were to come and ask me, do you think this relationship's okay? I'd probably say no, but I still love you. We have to get that. Jesus said in verse 7, then, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. He created you male and female. And in the purpose of marriage, the male and female were to come together. And and, in Genesis 2, God said it's not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper. And that helper is going to be suitable to him. And that means to correspond. And so God made humans, male and female, to come together and to complete each other and to complement each other. When Debbie and I got married, we got married to bring a sense of completeness and complement. Uh, I can't pronounce that. How do you say it? Compliment each other. Okay, my grammar isn't good, neither is my enunciation, evidently. But he brought us together to compliment each other, to to, to be one, to come together as that that one flesh. And and that's who we are. And he said, when you do that, and that's the purpose of it, then you you leave your other relationships behind. And so you leave your mother and father, and you become one. This is something, this is so important. Let me tell you, especially younger folks, and you just got married, you're thinking about getting married. When you get married, you leave behind your mom and your dad, okay? And I, I know most, most marital problems that exist early on are because of your extended family causing those problems in your life, or you allowing them to. So listen to me. Listen very closely. 
to a man of great wisdom, guys. Always side with your wife every time. If your mama and your wife don't get along, you side with your wife every time. I don't care if your wife's wrong. I don't care if in private you say, honey, you always publicly take your wife's side. You take your wife's side, your mom might get a little upset with you. That's okay. But you take your mom's side and not your wife's, you'll crush your wife. You'll crush her. And she won't know whether she can trust you or not. You'll crush your wife. You always take your wife's side. Let me say this one last time. Always take your wife's side. And you mamas that put pressure on your kids and marry, back off. Just back. It's not the dad. It's always the mom. Kids yourself. It's the mom. It's not the dad. Dad doesn't care. Glad dad wants them gone. They're out. My daughter, my daughter talked about coming to live back home. I said, no, you ain't coming to live back home. I'll pay for you to live somewhere. Get out of here. And some of you take them back in and say, you know, well, we took our kids back in. We're just trying to help them out. You're not helping them out. Kick them to the curb. They're gone. Let them suffer a little bit. If you bring them in, though, butt out. If you say, what well, they're living at my home, butt out. That's your problem. You didn't have to bring them back. No one made you do that. And gals, always take your husband's side over every member of your family. Always take your husband's side. He needs to know you support him. I know he's wrong. Listen, I was wrong most of the time. That's not the issue. <laughs> Debbie always took my side. She always defended me. Leave your mama and leave your daddy. And you become one flesh. And then Jesus says this in verse 9. End all our marriages ceremonies this way. Where God is joined together, let no man separate. Separate means to be pulled apart. See, here's the thing about divorce. It pulls apart a family. Here's the thing about adultery. It pulls you apart. It tears your flesh. It rips you apart. It causes pain and suffering. It always does. Because here's the reason you need to understand that. God establishes and defines marriage. Not the culture. The culture doesn't establish marriage. The culture doesn't define marriage. They try to. No, no, no. They may redefine it. They may corrupt it. But God does it. God gave you marriage. God created marriage. He came up with marriage. He gets to define marriage. And with that, Jesus ended their conversation. He never actually answered their question about divorce. He just let it go. And he just told them, this is what God expects a man and a woman to spend their life together. And that's it. But that wasn't really enough for the disciples because they really needed to know the answer to this. And so in verse 10, it says, in the house, the disciples began to question him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Now, this is fascinating because in the Jewish world, the man never committed adultery against his wife. And Jesus just elevates women right on up there with men. He says, if you leave your wife, you force her into an adulterous relationship. Because it's always assumed you're going to get remarried. Remarriage is always assumed. And then he said this also. Hey, women, guess what? Since I'm elevating you back up to them, verse 12, he says this. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. So he just simply says, if you're going to get divorced... And we expect remarriage to occur. Adultery is going to be a part of it. Now, there is an exception. In Matthew 19, he talks about the exception. And Mark doesn't include it because Mark didn't have to because everyone understood. In the case of infidelity, you're free to divorce and remarry. 
And, and Jesus said that in Matthew 5. He said it in Matthew 19. Mark understands that it's always a part of it. Everybody understood it. That was an accepted part of their culture. So accepted for infidelity. If you, you know, infidelity, you can divorce and remarry without adultery being attached to you. But other than that, then adultery is involved. So this kind of brings us to two principles that we need to, to get and understand. The first is this. Sin is at the core of every broken marriage. Marriage breaks apart because of sin. Sin could be the hardness of a heart. The sin could be that you have the wrong expectations of marriage and you're so selfish and you made it all about you. Sin could be adultery. Sin could be something else. But whenever a marriage breaks apart, that's not what God intended. Sometimes it happens. I get that. I understand that. Many of you have been divorced and remarried, maybe more than once. My mom twice, my dad twice. I get it. But you know this. You know it. If you've been divorced, you know this. Sin is always at the core of that. And it hurts. It also brings us to the second principle. And this is a hard one for many people in our culture to hear and understand, but it's this. Jesus affirms traditional marriage. When I say traditional, I mean Genesis 2. A man and a woman spend their life together. He affirms that. He affirms nothing else. I know it's popular for people to try to deliver Jesus to affirm all types of different situations and lifestyles and choices. But they're wrong. He doesn't. He only speaks about marriage really twice. He doesn't say much about it. And he's pretty clear when he talks about it. He refers back to Genesis. And so you may not like it. You may struggle with it. And I understand that. But this is the fact. This is what Jesus affirms. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Yes, he loves you. He loves everybody. It doesn't doesn't mean he won't forgive you. Of course he'll forgive you. It doesn't mean he won't save you. And it doesn't mean one type of a non-traditional marriage is better than the other. Listen, it doesn't matter what happened. If you go beyond one man and one woman for life, you're going beyond what God intended. And you know that probably is painful and messy. But the good news is that Jesus always waits into the mess. And he always loves you and he'll always save you. And the good news is as a church, we should also wait into the mess. And so I want you to know this, no matter what's your lifestyle, no matter what your marital status, no matter what has happened in the past, your pastor, this pastor, will always wade into that mess with you. And I'll always be there to help you as best I can, to love you as best I can, and support you as best I can, but I may not always agree with you. Because I'm always going to side with Jesus, but that's okay. Because I think ultimately you want to side with Jesus too. We live in a culture. The American culture is so corrupt. The American culture is a culture that right now has women being abused all the time that has children being molested. And some people think it's okay that grown adults can molest children, even enter into relationships with children. It's a perverted, corrupt view of life. We live in an American culture where we see people sold into slavery all the time. I don't mean the traditional sense. I just mean even in our city, there are people who are sex slaves. They're being forced in those positions because people are more powerful than them, and we do nothing to rescue them. This is a corrupt culture. Never side with the culture over Jesus. Always side with Jesus, which brings me to this. And this is an important question because this is really what matters. Is divorce ever okay? That's what people want to know. Pastor, David, is it ever okay? Many times I have to deal with people. And sometimes my advice to them is go ahead because of their situation. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying you don't have any choice. Because sometimes you live between a rock and a hard place, don't you? Sometimes you live between a rock and a hard place. And I'm amazed at the number of pastors that don't recognize that some, especially for women, here's your choice. Here's the choice of some women. Divorce their husband or get beat up. Who in their right mind 
thinks God wants you to get beat up. And that's the third option. Shoot them is available. That's okay. But we tend to frown upon that. I don't know why. I think it should be okay. If a man beats up his wife, his wife ought to be able to shoot him. But that, I guess not. So sometimes your choices aren't good choices. So here's the thing. After studying the scripture a long, long time, and understanding what Jesus says, and what God says, and what Paul says, and we'll talk about Paul in a couple of weeks. Here's the thing. Just like in the day of Moses, and in the day of Jesus, divorce is permitted for the protection of those exposed to a marriage that is harmful or where fidelity is broken. In Moses' day and in Jesus' it was to protect women. But always it was understood if fidelity, if infidelity occurred, if someone cheated on their spouse. It doesn't mean you have to, but it means it's permissible. And we should recognize that. And I'm not saying that's easy. And I'm not saying, you know, that's not a tough thing to go through. It is. But listen, if your life's in danger, there's no way Jesus expects you to stay in a bad relationship where your life's in danger. Even if it's not physical, even if it's emotional. If you're being destroyed emotionally, if you're being destroyed physically, if you're being destroyed in any capacity, you know, sometimes you don't have very good options, do you? And I want you to know that church loves you. We care about you. We want to help you through those options. And it's not easy. But yeah, in those extreme cases, it's permitted. And certainly in the area of infidelity. But here's the thing. Here's the good news, though. And I want you to know there's always good news. Regardless of your past, make sure your current or future marriage reflects God's design and intent. Hey, some of you out there, you're single, thinking about getting married. It's great. Marriage is great, man. It's been 30, almost 39 wonderful years. Make sure your marriage reflects God's design and intent. That's it. Just make sure you're getting married for the right reason. And you're in a marriage now. This may be your second, maybe your third marriage. Maybe you're looking to your second or third marriage. I don't know. It's fine. You can't change the past. Don't beat yourself up over the past. But just from this point forward, say, okay, from this point forward, I want my marriage to reflect God's intent and design. You're dating someone. Look at the person you're going to date. And and ask yourself, if I get married to this person, is it going to reflect God's intent and design? That's where you go. That's what you do. Don't beat yourself up. Just say, okay, today, going forward, this is how it needs to be. What does God expect? Well, expects a man and a woman to spend their life together. Just do that. Just spend your life together with them. And make that the way it ought to be. Listen, all of us should want what Jesus wants for us. We should all want from one another what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to go back to the way God wants it to be. And you can't. Some of you, you know, it's tough, and I get it. And you're in a tough relationship. And maybe you need to come talk to me, and you don't want to do it right now. I get it. Maybe sometime this week you want to come talk to me, and that's fine. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. I'll help you however I can. Maybe some of you just want to pray today. Maybe not for yourself. So maybe there are going to be people here. Maybe you want to pray. You've got a family member. You want to pray for a son or a daughter. Or maybe you want to pray for a brother or sister, a mother and a father. Listen, we'll be here. In fact, if someone comes to pray, don't assume. I had someone told me in the first service, well, I wanted to come pray, but I want them to think my marriage is bad. <laughs> okay, no one's going to think that. But if you want to come pray, we'll pray with you. If you want to pray with a lady, hopefully one of the ladies will be here to pray with you as well. But uh, if not, you can pray with one of the guys. And listen, if, you want to, if your marriage is going great, praise God. You know, sometimes you just need to say, hey, God, thank you. I got a great husband. I got a great wife. Uh, you know, my husband's got a great wife. My wife's got a great husband. Whatever. You just praise God. It's good. Praise God. It's good. Thank him. And honor him. 
Maybe you just you know someone or you struggle, whatever it is. Listen, we, what we want, what I want for you is very simple. I want you to know that marriage matters to God. So I want marriage to matter to you. Make sure it does. And Father, it's always hard to talk about family because it's so personal. And, it's, and, it's, and, and we're talking to us here, and I'm talking to me, and it's in the middle of this mess we're all in sometimes. And some of, some of our families, Father, just doing great. Praise you. Thank you. Some are struggling. God, help them. And help all of us just kind of wade through this mess in life. And remember, Father, that our, our goal is to reflect what you want. What do you want? Jesus tells us what we all want. It's what you want. You want a man and a woman to spend their life together. So let us strive for that. Let us, Father, forget about the past. Seek forgiveness if need be. But, God, we can't be it ourselves. So let us let the past go and move forward. And in moving forward, God, let us do it the way you want it done. Commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If you want to come and pray or join our church, we'll be here. Would you come?